Testing one, two, there we go. Well, it's good to see everyone that's made it here. Hi, Gracie, hi, Will. By Gracie, by Will. Let's take our Bibles, let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, and we are so glad for all who've been able to make it out today. I was uh, quite shocked uh, to have, well, first of all, I knew that Tony and Sarah and Esther were on their way up. Uh, I had no clue that my other granddaughters were going to be here as well. I uh, really am uh, surprised that Kylie and, and Haley, though I should have known something was up, uh, the other day when I called them, uh, Tony kind of let it slip out of the bag a little bit. He goes, I'm, we're going to go pick up the daughters, or, you know, pick up the girls. And I went, uh, girls? What girls? And Sarah quickly responded, oh, my mom and, uh, you know, her sister. So, uh, yeah, little did I know. Well, so if we're taking a book, uh, Revelation chapter 14, last week we started this section. There's also a new set of notes that are in the back in regards to uh, Revelation chapter 15. You're welcome to get those as well. Uh, so we take a look at the finishing product of Six Angels Announcing. Now, what's interesting is that as we get ready to take a look at the uh, words of the Six Angels, we are taking a look at some of the things that are written. Now, we did get as far as the announcement of Babylon, that it has fallen. Now, again, we, we don't want to get into many details about, the, about that one, but we do want to go to verse 9, and we'll, let's read that one together. And the angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and received his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out measure into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, may I point this out to you, is that we are going to be looking at today some of the things that we, we don't necessarily like to take a look at, but as we begin to understand more of the things of God, we do want to understand the things that are written from his word so that we can have a greater understanding of the things that are written. So we want to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to ask him to guide us and lead us as we continue on through this day, shall we? Father, again, we want to thank you for your mercies and thank you, Lord, for this day of celebration. Lord, while we are excited to have uh, Tony and the family with us as well, we never want to forget that uh, we met to worship. We have come to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross of Calvary for us and to praise his name and to read his word and to know that all of these things that we see are for our benefit. So help us, dear Father, to understand the things that we see, help us to understand the things that are given, and guide us and bless and protect us now, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. I want to bring some things to your attention this morning that I, I really thought about, and this goes all the way back to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. And in Isaiah chapter 53, one of the things that we misunderstand is how the things that God has given us is for this time frame. This is his time of grace. Notice it says in, uh, in verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men of sorrows, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet 
we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. Now, let's stop there for a moment. We need to understand something. The wounds of our transgressions are upon Jesus Christ. What he has endured for us, by grace we are ever seeing his mercies and his truth. I think there's a lot of things that we misunderstand in regards to the law. And part of that, when we see the law, we're saying is, well, we're not really under the law. Well, yes, we aren't, and yes, we are under the law. Now, well, let me explain that to you. Remember this, is that every embarrassment, every trial, every, ch every challenge that we're going to face upon this earth is met with the the punishment of God. Now, understand this. God doesn't walk around and say, you get out of hand, I'm going to whip you. Uh, you know, I remember that all too well as growing up that, you know, the first impression is when we have of God the Father is, is he very much like our Father? Well, the reality is, is that when we understand the, the transgressions that we have in ourselves, God can use those things as a punishment towards us to get us back in line. I'll give you a case in point. We're going to be studying a little bit later today uh, when it comes to David and his grief, how that he suffered the consequences of his actions. Now, grace did not bring him to death. Because of the grace of God, he was not allowed to go through that, that particular grief. But he watched as four of his sons were to pass from, his, from this life, and the consequences of his life were in the griefs that he shared all the rest of the days of his life. But now I want you to look at verse 5 again. But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace. Now think about this. If I really bring my, myself into subjection, then I understand each and every day that by peace I have the things of this world that are there. Now, I know that many times in the past people would make the statement like, well, you know, because of the law I won't do this and I won't do that. Well, we're not under that particular branch of the law, but we are under the, the guidance of God, the protection of God in his care. There is not one person upon this earth that has not mistakenly broken one of God's commandments to us. Let's put it this way. How many times have we ever judged someone when they walked in the door, and as they walked in the door, we say, well, you know, I wonder what kind of person that is. Do you realize that we're supposed to love unconditionally everybody that comes into the door? Everyone that comes into the house of God, we're to love unconditionally. Unfortunately, we like to judge individuals based upon the way they look, the way they're dressed, and everything else under the sun. But notice again, and with his stripes we are healed. Now who's this speaking to? Is this speaking to everyone that's upon the earth or to those that truly believe? Believe it or not, the answer is found in those that truly believe in Jesus Christ. Now here's something else that's interesting. In Revelation chapter 14, the saints are already up off the earth. I believe that with all my heart. We have been raptured, if you will. We believe in the rapture. We believe in the coming of the Lord um, at any moment. And when the Lord appears, we're going to be excited for his coming. But may I point this out to you. That now is going to allow the requirements to bring Israel back into the fold. 
and to expose the world for their wickedness. We're going to see that in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Look what it says, beginning in verse, uh, verse 10 again. And the same shall drink of the, wrath, the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of indignation. Who is this speaking of? This is speaking to everyone that has received the mark of the beast. Now, understand this, is that I see all the time people that, you know, absentmindedly, they will put on their foreheads, they'll put 666, or they'll put some sort of symbol upon their heads, and say, oh, that's the mark of the beast. And in fact, I had something that was just shared to me this week. Uh, some group is now singing a song that Satan is our friend. How many of you have seen that video? Satan is our friend. He doesn't want to do us any harm. And uh, there is no such thing as hell. Don't you realize that that is, that is propaganda that is ministered to us right from the pits of hell? I mean, I don't want to see anyone go to, to hell, to, per se, to uh, bring them to an understanding that there is one true God. And it is my responsibility to preach the word of God in its fullness. Hell is a real thing. And if I could bring it to anyone's attention, it would always be, don't make your way towards hell. One of the things that I preach at many funerals and also at many services is Luke chapter 16. The voice of two people that are crying out. And the first person is, you want to come to this place. And this voice of the second person is, you don't want to come to this place. Remember, the rich man was in hell. He was in torment. He said, if I could just have a little water to parch my lips. You know, would you send Lazarus, that servant, to my benefit, where I laughed at him and I mocked him and things like that? There was no humility left in this man. There was no desire to follow after the things of God. And yet, the Bible is clear. This was a message of Jesus Christ where he said, hell is a real place. And yet, in Abraham's bosom, which is the comfort that we find that was uh, there upon this earth until the Lord brought all the saints up into glory with him, the reality is, is he was in comfort. He was there. He was peaceful. He was enjoying the rest that he so long preserved, that, that he deserved. But may I point this out to you. The people that are willing to take the mark of the beast in verse 10 are the same people that are willing to also suffer the consequences. Now, they're not going to like it, but look what it says in verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. In other words, there was a stench. Now, think about this for a moment. We don't like to think of the, the actions that we have in our lives as being a stench in the nostrils of people. And this is where forgiveness is always going to be paramount within the church and everything else. I know that I have done wrong. I know I have sinned. I have known I have committed it. While God has forgiven me, and I know because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, He is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. Believe it or not, it is up to the congregation to also administer the same forgiveness when there is the example of repentance that has been made. But in this case, there is no area of repentance. There is no church to be associated with. There is nothing there that allows us to see the facts. Look what it says in verse 11 again. And they had no rest, night or day, or day or night. The worship, 
who worshiped the beast and his image, whoever received the mark of his name. In other words, the, the, the torment is so terrible that they can't even find comfort. No salve, no medicines, nothing is going to relieve the torment of what they have received because they have allowed themselves to be given over to the things of this world. Now, verse 12 gives us a real answer. Here is the patient of the saints. Now think about that for a moment. How many of us want the requirements of this world? How many of us want the patience of the saints? I want the patience of the saints. Now, I'm not going to have to deal with this. In, in fact, what was interesting, I met a couple of people yesterday at work. Uh, one person goes down close to Louisa to a, a local Baptist church that is very similar to us. Never heard of him before. But he goes, are you truly sovereign? And I knew exactly where this man was coming from. And I said, I'm so sovereign, I make the unsovereign look unsovereign. And he, he kind of looked at me kind of funny, and then after we began to compare notes, I said, I am a Baptist that believes in the power of God, not in the power of man. And the more we communicated, the better off we, we found it. And he said he was going to come and visit us sometime. A little bit later, I met two ladies who, who've been studying the book of Revelation as well. I said, we're going to go into chapter 14. But I said, may I point this out to you, both chapter 14 and 15 have the similarities in that we see, first of all, salvation and recognition of saints before we find judgment. Here's the thing. We also see this in verse 12. Here is the patient of the saints. Here they are kept. Here they have kept the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to stop there for a moment. Have we kept the commandments of the Lord our God? Now understand this. Every one of us can fall into perfect measure of sin. Uh, we can get fed up with the way the world is. And we want to find an answer reading God's word. Let me just point something out to you. If you want to find an excuse for your sin, you're going to find it in God's Word. If you want to find an excuse for your sins, you're going to find it in God's Word. But if you're looking for patience, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for everything to be right, then we have to stop looking for our own benefit and go towards our maturity, our growth, our spiritual concern. Look what else it says in verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven. This again is another voice that we, we made mention of. And I heard another voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. In other words, this is from this point forward. Those that shall also die, which we're going to see in verse 15. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and, and upon the cloud one that sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now I want you to see this. This is an image that is amazing. I, I wish I could paint this out for you, but I'm going to do my best here. So here's the Lord, almost like in contemplation. How many of us remember the, uh, the example of the thinker? You remember the great, the, the great image of the thinker? Well, this is the Lord with a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, because I'm right-handed, I'm going to just go ahead and, and bring the sharp sickle in my right hand. 
And it's almost like he's waiting on the command from the Lord God to say, go reap what is there. And so Jesus Christ is waiting. He's waiting. He's not, he's not indecisive. This is the one thing that I think the world wants to make, make us understand or make us see. It's almost like the Lord God is undecisive. No, it's not like that at all. Notice again when it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and, the, and, the, and upon the clouds that one, one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, now this is the temple, of the heavenly temple that is there, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle. This is a command of God. The same command that says, go get my children, that we read over in the book of Matthew, and also we can read elsewhere in John chapter 14, when it says that there is the preparation to reap the earth of the saints, now comes the reaping and to bring everyone into Megiddo, or what we call Armageddon. And notice what it says at this particular time. For the time has come, it is now time, this is the purpose, not my time, not your time, but the Lord God's time. I don't know when this is going to happen, but immediately after we see the rapture, all of these things are put into place. I remember that I had a discussion with a man one time. He goes, well, when is the rapture going to occur? I said, immediately after the people are taken off this earth. He goes, I don't believe in the rapture. I said, whether we believe in it or not doesn't change the plan of God one iota. Number one, I am taken up off this earth. I no longer have to deal with this. I no longer have to face this, this judgment or this pain. But the reality is, is that even though I don't have to face it, doesn't mean that the rest of the world doesn't have to face it. Now watch this. The reality is, bring in all... of the beast who have accepted him as God this is now going to be the, the sickle is going to thrust them and throw them into the wine press may I point this out to you the 200 million man army might look at that they're going to attack the antichrist they may look at that but immediately their vengeance is going to be turned when they see the Christ coming and immediately they're going to say oh that's the one we're after. You've got to understand this. The Orient does not believe in God. They don't believe that the Antichrist is God Almighty. What they want, they take. And so for them to come into this place, into this Armageddon, into this Megiddo Valley, they are there to prove to themselves that man is greater than God. Let me put this out to you. We are right on the verge of seeing a lot of that happen to us. How many of you all have ever thought that you have a place in what we call the uh, global warming? You know, I've, I've heard so many people say, you know, well, global warming is causing the temperature, there's more glaciers that are being melted, blah, 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 blah. May I put this out to you? That's natural. Ever since the beginning of time, do, how many of us realize that there was something called an ice age? Do you remember that? And why was there an ice age? An ice age occurred because had there not been an ice age, the water would not have been able to go anywhere. 
Now, uh, 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 this is easy math. I'm going to tell you about it. When you have four people upon this earth, or eight people as you had in the days of Noah and his family, they came off the ark, plus all the creatures that came off the ark as well. How much water did they drink? How much water did they have? Now, that was eight. Add all the zeros behind it to make it eight billion. Where's all the water from? Do you realize that every one of us, and I, and I have my fair share of water in my body as well, that water had to come from somewhere, and that water comes from off this earth. Global warming is a natural effect, and you're not going to stop it unless you destroy all the creatures upon this earth. Guess what? That's exactly what Satan wants to do. Let's bring it down to reality. That's exactly what Satan wants. Satan doesn't want us. He doesn't want God's creation. He doesn't want anything to match exactly what we find in the Word of God. He doesn't want that. And you know, here's the thing. I've had a lot of people say, well, when the Lord returns, how many people are going to be taken off this earth? I don't know. But as there is more and more people that they're turning against Christianity, and they are turning against the things of God, it ought to bring in more attention to us that we are standing alone. Maybe there's only a million of us. In the face of one billion, or of, of eight billion people, one million is nothing. Two million is nothing. Three million is nothing. But understand this, either we have complete confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that everything is going to be right, or we have no confidence at all. Let's go continue, shall we? And he that sat on the, the cloud, first in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. In other words, when he was given the command, then we begin to see all the things that begin to suffer. Hello, sister. In verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple which had a sharp sickle, excuse me, which was in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him that hath the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to go into what we call a wine press or an apple press or anything like that. Many years ago when I lived in Germany, uh, I, I went down to the local area and they had an apple press, which was, you know, another name for press or anything that would allow juice to occur. And they had taken all these apples and everything. And my reward for helping them during the day, which I spoke very little German at that time, was to get a, two bottles of fresh apple juice. Man, it was good. And if you like fresh apple cider, if you like fresh apple juice, that was the best. And we polished off one real quick, and the other one I put on the porch. Well, one of the things I discovered is that it had a natural process of fermentation. And pretty soon, that little bottle began to have hair in it. Pretty soon that little bottle began to really get hot as it was creating fermentation. So even though I had it on the porch and I thought it would you know, kind of prevent it, it didn't stop anything. Pretty soon I opened it up and when I did the, the lid went pop. And I knew right then and there that it had already created a seal. 
And I sniffed inside and went, oh my word. You don't drink this stuff. And I went out and I poured it outside because I was so afraid of what it might do to me after I sipped it, made sure that it was okay. But anyway, the reality is, is that it was bad news. It was going to ferment on me. Well, in this case, notice it says that the press is ripe. Now, in olden days, the way that they would do a wine press is they would stamp it. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, you know, I love Lucy commercials or TV shows where that there were people that they would stamp the grapes and the, pretty soon the, the fluid would come pouring out and they would capture it out and they would make wine. And you could get drunk on new wine. You could if you drank enough of it. However, in this case, it's not a matter of getting drunk. It's a matter of judgment. Notice again it says that there was nothing that was stated by one angel but it says in verse 19, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God is it's going to literally bring into judgment everyone that wants to focus and has elevated the Antichrist or the beast up in the higher levels. And so now we're getting ready to see this stamping. How many of us have ever read about the horses, you know, the blood flowing to the bridle. Well, that's going to happen in Megiddo. It, it's got to happen. And a lot of people say, well, I, I have a hard time believing that. Well, how many of you have a hard time believing that we are running out of fossil fuels and we're consuming fossil fuels and literally it would give a rudimentary style of warfare if we did away with all the weapons except for a few. The reality is, is that if you follow from Megiddo, when the Lord brings his, his feet upon the earth, and he causes the trench to come down from Israel, down through Edom, down to the Red Sea, that all of those things are going to fall in line. Now, let me give you an example. Megiddo is the Valley of Red. How many of you all knew that? It goes through the land of Eden, which is called the Valley of the Red. It goes into the Red Sea, which is the Blood Sea. It's already been foreordained. But we are too blind to really see that God is going to bring this to pass. And for us to say, well, I doubt it. I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. Then... You need to wake up. It's going to happen. And you're going to have a decision to make. Do I make, receive the mark of the beast and suffer the consequences thereof? And you know, and I'm not trying to scare anyone because I can't scare anyone. But the reality is that these things are going to happen. Verse 20 says, And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress. Blood. Blood. Not wine. Why is there so much blood? Because this is where the men have now been cast into warfare. Even unto the horse's bridle. Now think about that. There it is. That's a lot of blood. And here's the thing. Blood doesn't flow. It oozes. Many years ago, I worked at a chicken processing plant. Nastiest job in the world. And one of the things we had was we had to cut the, the necks of the chickens so they would bleed out. And we had this tray that allowed the chickens to bleed out. At, by the end of the day, there would be this big 
element of blood that oozed down the path. It didn't run. It oozed. Can you imagine the blood oozing down this valley towards the Red Sea? So much, so, so much blood. The Antichrist armies, the, million, the 200 million men that are going to come into warfare, all of these are going to face the, the, the wrath of God. So much so that the blood will reach to a horse's bridle. In other words, the horse will have to lift its head to try to breathe. That's pretty amazing. And so notice it says the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs, meaning about half of the generation of, of this earth. That's how long it, that flow is going to be. That's amazing to me. Now, we're going to close off in chapter 14, and I want us to take our notes, and as we have taken a look in the back, I want us to, to now pick up where it speaks of uh, chapter 15, and I've labeled this as a little child. Now, I want you to see this from a different perspective, and it says, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven plagues, for in them is filled the wrath of God. Now, this is the wrath of God that's going to be poured out in the last seven plagues that are given. And I saw, as it were, in the sea of glass mingled with fire, and then that had gotten the victory over the beast. Now, this victory is not the same victory we saw in chapter 14. Let's go back here and take a look at that. In chapter 14, beginning of verse 1, And lo, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having in his father's name written in their foreheads. And this is a this is a hundred forty-four thousand, twelve thousand each of the tribes of Israel that have been ordained. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many uh, of many waters, and the voice of a great thunder, and heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sang as it were a new song before the throne. This is before the throne. These were men that had been ordained that they are going to preach the gospel and it's going to cost them their life, which they are willingly are, are going to give to anyone who wants to take it from them. And the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now that's what it says in 14.1 through 3. But in chapter 15, this is another group of people. These are those that have believed the testimony because... Christ has been revealed to them, maybe from the 144,000, maybe from other methods. Remember, the two witnesses are up on this earth. But they have believed with their whole heart. How they died, I'm not given that permission. I'm not given that story. We don't read that. It could be the guillotine. You know, there's a lot of proof that, you know, maybe the fear of the guillotine will cause us to uh, be brought forward. I don't know. It could be that we're thrust through with a spear. It could be that we are shot. We don't understand and we don't know. But notice again, it says, and I saw it as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Now understand this. In chapter 14, we find that the 144,000 were given harps. Once again, we have the harps that are mentioned here. But notice that they are to stand before 
the throne of God by this crystal sea. I want you to see this. This is amazing to me. Let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, once again, we are allowed to see exactly what this sea looked about. Okay? Now, we'll go down to verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now, these individuals are going to stand at this particular sea. That's what we're reading in chapter 15. But they are now not only seeing this, this beautiful glassy image, or glass-looking image, they are also now going to be seeing the fire. What is the purpose of the fire? I'm glad you asked that. Let's turn back, if you will, to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, we begin to see a little bit more about uh, the wrath of God. Let's look at verse 15. And, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they were burned in a furnace, and his voice of the sound of many waters. And in his right hand were seven stars, and out of his mouth with a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance as the sun that shineth in his strength. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in all glory, and now the judgment of God is seen as well. Whenever you see the word fire, please understand this is all about the judgment. So here in chapter 15, in verse 1, we are now seeing that the redeemed are being brought before the throne of God. And as they're being redeemed off this earth because of their death, because of what has ever happened, they're going to stand before God and there is going to be a victory that is declared. But they are not going to be the same ones to enjoy the same conversation that we read in chapter 6 where it said, How long, O Lord? Instead, if you will, read verse 2 and let's see what it was. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the, son, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are the works the Lord God Almighty, just and true are his ways, thou King of saints. <coughs> now, here's the hard part. How do you see the book of Revelation? Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. I met a man many, many years ago, and he was a, he was a good teacher, one of the, the smartest men I've ever met. And as I stood with this man and I, I listened to what he had to say, one of the things that I look at was his own particular identity. Now, in his mind, the people that were saved in the Old Testament had to keep the law. We are currently under grace. And then he said the book of Revelation was about death. And I looked at him and I said, you're telling me that there are three ways of salvation according to your mindset? Now, understand, he was a great church leader, supposedly, in his area. And I told him, I said, there is only grace. I said, how do you explain where it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? How do you, find, how do you figure that? 
can, he really couldn't give me an answer. I said, it is all of grace. I said, here's the reality. All of the Old Testament people looked for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those, after, the, after Jesus had passed from this life, we have looked back to the cross and we preach the cross. But we don't leave Jesus on the cross. We see him dead. We see him buried. We see him resurrected. We see him ascended. And he is upon the, he's waiting for the return or the command to go get my children. But from this point on, after the death of Jesus Christ, we're all redeemed in the same way. They were redeemed over here because they looked forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did they have to stand? And why did they go to a place called paradise? Because Christ had finished the work. They couldn't enter into heaven until Christ finished the work. They believed that Jesus Christ was coming. Read David's writings. Read uh, all the writings that we find in the book of Genesis and all, through, all throughout the Old Testament. But all of those that lived upon the earth during the time of Christ, they were given clarity that it wasn't by the law, it has always been by grace. So the reality is, is that these individuals trust not on their own works, not in their own death, but in the fixture of Christ and his redemption. All right, Lord's willing, we'll pick up from there next week, and we'll keep going on with our studies as we look at Romans, or Revelation chapter 15. Let's be dismissed in the final word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, again, thank you for your great mercies, and help us now, Father, to be faithful unto you in all things. Help us, dear Father, to rejoice and guide and bless now in Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.